Hello and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we are excited to welcome our next guest to the show, Brendan Sullivan. Brendan is currently the senior AD at Boston University and has been there for almost two years now. He currently oversees the business office and responsible for scheduling, branding, and all aspects of revenue generation while serving as the sports supervisor for men's basketball, men's soccer, and women's golf. Prior to his role at BU, Brendan had an extensive tenure as a leader in the sports administrative space with stops at the Division II level as an AD at Stonehill College, and most recently had a four-year stint at Holy Cross before landing on ComAv. He brings a wealth of perspective to the Terriers, and we are excited to hear how they have been navigating this unusual fall in sports. He currently lives in Boston, Mass., but for the next 45 minutes, he's hanging out with us here on Checkpoint. Brendan, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing today? Doing great, Scott. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to talk with you. Awesome. Yeah, we're super pumped to have you. You know, we've, uh, you know, for all you first time listeners, we've been having influencers from athletes, athletic directors, um, you know, to commissioners of leagues coming on and, and using this as a checkpoint to get underneath the hood, hear a little bit more about, you know, Brendan's story, how we got to be you, what they're currently focusing on how they're navigating this fall and really where he sees the industry going based off all his perspective um, that he's accumulated. So, um, you know, Brendan, just to sort of kick things off, um, would love to get a little context to your journey on how you got into sports, why you got into sports and let's start there. Sure. Um, well, Scott, I think, you know, an individual that works in athletics obviously has a passion for it. Um, you know, for me, my, uh, I quickly learned that uh, my playing abilities were going to peak really early uh, in terms of uh, competition. Um, you know, so I was fortunate to uh, understand and find that you, know, you could be around athletics and not necessarily you know, on the field or in the uh, in the competition. So, um, and that goes back to high school um, in terms of working with our football team and um, being a manager. You know, I, I tell the story that uh, our uh, football coach. Boston Latin was also my gym teacher. And I think he was looking for an offensive lineman when he asked me about playing football. And it it wasn't just something I could do at that time. And he said, well, do you want to be a manager? And, it, you know, it, you talk about how you get an entree into sports. And, you know, that says a ninth grader uh, learning that um, in just that one conversation with, uh, you know, for me, an influential person over the next not only four years of high school, but uh, beyond as well. Wow. Um, so from there, you know, again, really kind of opened my eyes to supporting a team and, and having that opportunity to be um, in an environment. You know, football was a love for me. Um, and that allowed me when I got to uh, Notre Dame as, as a student, uh, they have a great uh, manager program uh, where you really um, are acting, you know, on a daily basis with the team, um, you know, supporting them and helping them at practice. Um, obviously, uh, Notre Dame football is a, a pride point um, for the university and any alum like myself. So got to work with them uh, for, you know, two seasons. Um, and then the way the program worked was as a senior, uh, you became a manager of one sport. Um, and for me, I was uh, grateful to have men's basketball. Um, and while I may have been disappointed at the time not to work with the football team, uh, could not have worked out better because, you know, a real true team environment 
um, with, you know, 15 student athletes, five coaches and, and two managers. And um, it was actually the year that Notre Dame returned to the NCAA tournament with Coach Bray's first year um, at Notre Dame. And we uh, got back to the NCAA tournament, uh, made the second round and really that environment, um, you know, seeing behind the scenes at a place like Notre Dame um, and doing many of the administrative roles that, you know, perhaps the director of operations now do, um, really opened my eyes to finding a, a spot in. Uh, but like many people who try to get into athletics, it's it's not an easy entree in. Um, and, you know, I struggled for probably a year, year and a half, moved back to the Boston area, trying to find um, an entry in, whether it be an internship or an opportunity. Um, and after about a year felt, you know, if I can't get into college athletics, you know, working on a college campus isn't the worst thing. Um, and, you know, using my my background in finance, uh, found an opportunity at Stonehill College, uh, working in their central finance area of the university or the, the college, the institution. Um, and my supervisor at the time knew my interest in athletics that had come up in the interview. So uh, he had said, well, you know, we want you to work with athletics on their budget and that, you know, we'll give you some, give you some exposure. Um, so started there and for a year served in that role and every month uh, met with the athletic director, uh, Paula Sullivan, um, no relation, uh, but now a, a great friend and mentor, um, someone who I really credit with uh, a lot in terms of my career. And, you know, we would meet for an hour and we would talk 45 minutes about you know, whatever the business topic or issue or budget conversation needed to be. And then there was always 10 or 15 minutes of just back and forth and talking about sports. And uh, I'll always remember the day I had been there about nine months and it was in May and we were in that kind of 15 minute segment. And she looked at me and she said, you know, do you want a job over here? Um, there was going to be some shuffle on their side. I said, absolutely. So, you know, when, when I now speak to people looking to get into the industry, um, one, I credit them for networking and for you know, reaching out to people and, and learning how um, to get in and, and shared experiences. But I look back on my opportunity and I was I was gifted a, something that um, I reflect really positively on every day that, you know, still, um, you know, close to 20 years later, um, able to work in athletics. So from there, um, really enjoyed the experience at Stonehill. Um, you know, I think being at the Division II level um, where the resources aren't as high, uh, both human capital and financial, um, you're tasked with a lot. Uh, you're tasked with, um, for me, it was working with our business office, um, you know, handling our business affairs, um, also, you know, doing some fundraising, some revenue generation ideas, uh, which I had not done at that point. And um, I thank them. You know, I look back on that experience and getting to try things and learn things early um, was a real benefit to me later in my career. Uh, and then finally, the other key part for me was being a sports supervisor. Um, yeah. Again, at the Division II level, it's all hands on deck. Um, so, you know, even if you are one year into your athletic career, you've got to work with coaches. And um, there it's a, it's different because, you know, oftentimes some of those coaches are part time. Um, so you are their daily connection to campus. Um, you know, that they're coming and working with their students, but they might only be on campus for three to four hours of the day. Yeah. Um, or if they're out of season, you know, they might only be coming to campus a couple of days a week. Um, so really learning how to serve them and, and meet their needs um, from there. So um, had a great experience at Stonehill, um, really uh, flourished and felt that was contributing, um, was grateful 
again, that was able to serve as the athletic director uh, for just shy of seven years, I think. I, I was there about six years and then uh, became the athletic director um, and had that opportunity for seven years. And again, we had some success. That was a credit to everyone. Um, and it, again, a really good learning environment for me. Um, made some mistakes, um, you know, learned from them. You know, I think my first year as the athletic director, I quickly realized you can't say yes to everything because, you know, you don't have an unlimited budget, um, though you want to because you see the passion um, in the coaches or you, know, you want to provide them what they need uh, to be successful. But you've got to be able to make those uh, difficult decisions and move forward. Um, and, you know, had a wonderful experience. Uh, again, I keep saying that, but, um, you know, still speak to a number of individuals there. Um, and then the opportunity at Holy Cross came up. Uh, yeah. I had not been in a Division One environment professionally, um, you know, and Holy Cross was, you know, here local, so I didn't have to move myself or my family. Um, and, you know, the institution has such a rich tradition and history um, and a name, uh, both in the academic um, and athletic world. Uh, that was, you know, an easy opportunity for me to Keeping the purple, uh, go yeah. from Stonehill to Holy Cross, and um, you know, again, join them too at a point in um, transition, uh, and that's hard to say when you know, the university or the institution was uh, you know almost 150 years old, but athletically um, needed some investment. Um, so, uh, working with the athletic director Nathan Pine, who I'm grateful again to him as well for the experience. Um, and the things that uh, he was able to teach me in that role and contribute to a significant investment in facilities at Holy Cross that I really think will launch them forward, um, you know, and, and give them the capital resources they need to uh, both recruit and then compete um, in today's environment. Um, I say that now as a competitor, though, um, yeah. <laughs> to Boston University, um, you know, just over a year ago. And for me, uh, I'm a Boston native. Um, you know, it's, we talked a little bit before we started recording. Um, you know, I've lived in Boston my entire life um, and always thought uh, very highly of Boston University. Uh, in fact, when I think back to the high school opportunities and working with the football team, um, our annual Thanksgiving Day game was here on at Boston University on Nickerson Field. Um, and actually, my you know high school graduation uh, occurred on. Boston University's campus as well, the same field. So every time I walk by that that field, which is you know 100 yards from my office, it, it really ties back to um, you know early in my athletic time, um, and I'm grateful to to be able to be here and, and look at that. Um, what a journey! What a and and so before we before we go on, I'm curious. I want to unpack a couple of things here because this is really interesting to me. So you know, first off you know, the, the path that you took into athletics is really what I would call sort of non-traditional, right? A lot of the folks that we've had on the show um, have either been athletes or they were coaches and they made the migration over. Um, so you came with just this resilient attitude of just trying to figure out like, hey, I know I wanna be here and it's not this instant gratification, but if I put myself in the arena, things will start to happen. And I think that is just so apropos of sports because people, people want to get into this industry. They don't ever know how, right? It's like the first question you have to ask yourself is what do you want to do in this industry? And, and so I think that's really interesting. And, and the path that you've taken and the journey just that I'm learning right now lends a ton of unique perspective, right? Because you're not coming at it through an athlete lens. 
you really see it more as the business side of things. You understand the the, the levers, the push and pull mechanisms that make this go. Um, now, I'm curious from the the D2 level, um, and we're going to unpack a little bit what you did at Stonehill, um, you know, with some of the uh, achievements and the, the programs that you rolled out. Um, but how has that positioned you for what we're experiencing right now? You know, let's go back to March, April, when we were trying to figure out in the spring what fall was going to look like. Did you pull on any of those past experiences um, from taking schools in transition to help navigate the waters at BU? Or what, what was that experience like for you? Um, I think, you know, anyone reflects on and uses their experience, uh, again, having served as an athletic director, you sat in that chair um, and you've got that, you know, uh, bigger picture mind um, in, you know, not only trying to see today's issue, um, but also trying to see, you know, tomorrow, next week, next month, whatever. Um, now, that's really hard to do in a pandemic. Um, I heard a great line uh, during during that shutdown uh, when we were all at home over the spring and somebody said the week now is yesterday today and tomorrow you know there's no monday tuesday wednesday it's yesterday today and tomorrow um because every day seemed to be the same yep. and every plan you crafted um you know was either moot and needed to be ripped up by um you know the next day um or you just didn't have enough information yet because it's something um, nobody in the industry had faced. Maybe it was the flu pandemic back in 1918 that, you know, we saw all the headlines. And um, I still remember seeing the uh, image of, a, I think it was a Georgia Tech football game and people had masks on. So it'd be a hundred years later and no one had ever really thought about that. And, and yet we're facing the same issue, uh, granted in a totally different environment and time. Um, you just really have to um, think critically um, and have that bigger picture, but still be attuned to the, the details of today um, or, or the moment. Um, and I think the biggest part of that is understanding too, things will change um, you know, by, the, by the hour, by the day, by the week. Um, you won't have all the answers that day, but keeping at focus the student athlete and the coaches that you're, you know, you're working with um, because they need information. Um, they need um, to have some semblance of communication. Um, I credit our athletic director, Drew Marichello, where we set a great tone, he set a great tone in terms of our communication um, with both the staff, the coaches, the greater department, and the student athletes, some regular check-ins. Um, and sometimes we had information um, and, and we gave what we were able to give at that time. But at times it was also a, a good opportunity to you know just connect um you know and you read and hear a lot about um the mental struggles during quarantine for students um you know an 18 to 22 year old today has so many you know potential challenges and issues they face and then you put them in a once in a dec decade um sorry once in the century hopefully once in the century not once in a decade fingers crossed right um pandemic and those are real challenges for anyone, um, you know. So, how do you how do you make sure? How do you connect with them? How do you help them? Um, and that's really where our focus has been, continues to be. Um, you know, we are fortunate to be uh, residential campus right now, uh, with about two thirds of our students returning. Um, but there's another third of our students who who didn't return and who are learning remotely. 
Um, so you just have to have constant communication and make sure that, that they are okay. Wow. Um, in terms of the D2 to uh, Division One, you know, and this applies in a pandemic, um, but I've, I've said before, it applies, you know, in any aspect of uh, college athletics. Um, often the, the issues or the problems um, between Division One and Division Two are pretty similar. I'm not gonna say they're always absolutely the same. They're often similar. The difference is the decimal place is usually in a different spot. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is that, you know, what is perhaps a $10,000 issue at the Division One level might be a $1,000 issue at the Division Two level. Um, but the scope of being able to where those resources or where that challenge fits into your ability is pretty similar, um, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, how do you achieve that? How do you, how do you get to that? Um, how do you overcome that obstacle? And it's not always financial. Absolutely, it's not always financial. Um, but, you know, when you're working with student athletes, you're working in an educational environment. And I think that's what's so important is that understanding we are a part of the educational uh, of the institution. We're not a standalone. Um, how do you how do you overcome those challenges? How do you work with people? Um, and how do you achieve things as a group, um, be it division one or division two? And I've taken a lot uh, from those division two experiences. Again, being a sport administrator relatively early in my career, I learned a lot. Uh, yeah. I learned how to work with coaches, um, you know, in, in helping them be successful. Um, so, really cool. No, and I, I mean, it's always interesting when you're able to pull on those those experiences um, and you know, there always is applicability to it, but when you get something thrown that you just could never imagine, um, you know, we ultimately go back to our foundation, right? Those learned behaviors and um, you know, it, it's really interesting hearing your tenure and how you got to this position and how those are just one-to-one -one of like, applicable to what we're going through right now to make sure that the communication is strong from administrator to coach to athlete. Um, and we've been seeing that, you know, with, with other guests that have come on as well. Um, this really tests the, the institution, this really tests the athletic department. And the silver lining is that, you know, the community aspect of sport and the community aspect of, um, you know, making the athletic department really a part of the whole university, not this silo pillar anymore. Um, we're seeing that come to the forefront more now than ever, um, which is really exciting, right? Like, I mean, you know, for so long it was the, you know, BU hockey team and then maybe, you know, the rest of the student population, whereas now we're all in this together. So um, really interesting to hear hear that story down. Um, now, now, one thing I want to touch on, you know, when you were at Stonehill, I was doing some reading um, and, and you spun up the Stonehill Leadership Academy. And, you know, you were educating on leadership, self-branding, communication skills, some of the foundational pillars that, you know, involve us outside of athletes, but create, you know, holistic humans as we're moving forward. Um, I'm curious outside of COVID, name image likeness was coming down the pike pretty quick um, in that moving there. Are you taking any of those, um, I guess, assets from Stonehill and what you built there to be you to make sure that your athletes are prepared um, and educated on, you know, what the future of a student athlete could look like in the NCAA? Sure. Uh, the Leadership Academy at, at Stonehill is something I am uh, quite proud of uh, that we instituted. Um, and it you know, came from an NCAA program that uh, we were fortunate to um, one of our assistant commissioners 
um, Amy Resnick or Amy Van Ryn, uh, one of your, the spouse of one of your previous guests, um, was part of the NCA um, Leadership uh, Academy and was able to bring that to our conference. And, and she and I had many conversations and it was really born out of the fact that, you know, we were putting student athletes into uh, leadership roles within their team. And it was often as we do in athletics based on a combination of seniority and ability, um, athletic ability. Mm-hmm. And there were a couple of times where we just kind of stopped and paused and said, you know, just wish this, this student made a better decision in this moment. Um, or could help his or her teammates a little bit more. And what it dawned on me was that we were making an assumption that because they were a captain, uh, which could have been founded based on solely seniority and uh, athletic ability, doesn't guarantee that they have all the leadership tools they need. Um, And we had an opportunity and and even a responsibility to provide some additional resources for them and, and learning points or touching points. Um, and not saying that's carte blanche for every student, but I think every student gained something from that opportunity. So for us, it was the opportunity to gather them because just as we talk about, you know, the, the challenges as an administrator between division one and division two can be similar. The challenges that a football captain and a lacrosse captain face on their team might be similar. Um, so we would wanted to put the student athletes in an environment, um, where they could, you know, learn from each other. Um, you know, we would go through a curriculum, but also get them to look at themselves as a leader, what kind of leader they are, understand, you know, how to lead other people. But then, you know, frankly, have a Q and A. Um, how do you how do you deal with this issue? Um, you know, we've got a, a starter on our team who got benched, and you know, he's dragging down the team environment. Or, you know, we've got a group of you know, one class who's, you know, maybe become their clique and is, is affecting the team culture, um, not really engaging with the other team. Those issues happen across teams. Um, so really try to get some value uh, and opportunity for our students there. As it pertains to uh, name, image, and likeness, uh, we are working, um, as everyone is, on how to educate our students. Um, we're actually trying to plan some of that as we speak because um, it's important. You know, it, it's an opportunity um, that that they will have, um, and we want to make sure, just like it's, you know, any decision that they've got all the resources and they've got the education uh, that they need to do that. So um, we'll work and we'll we'll get some information to them, um, some yeah. consideration, um, and it, you know, if they have those opportunities, um, great for them, um, and we just want to make sure it, it occurs to their best interest. Um, and within you know the parameter set yeah and and i think uh you know again when we talk about name image and likeness whether it's at the administrative role or the coach's role um, everyone has a different concern with it right like i think we all see this as an opportunity um, but how do we pragmatically think about this to make sure that it is um, beneficial for the athlete beneficial for the team beneficial for the university Um, so there's just a lot of layers to it so really interesting to hear how um, you guys are thinking about it at the onset. Um, you know, again, we could circle back to this in um, a week, six months, a year, um, and it's going to be a completely different tune, uh, you know, as it continues to come down. But um, really interesting just, you know, that it is top of mind there. Now, with, you know, going to pivot off NIL here for a little bit, but, you know, 
COVID has exposed one other thing within athletic budgets that we're finding or with athletic programs is that budgets are getting squeezed, right? So human capital, um, you know, is getting spread thin and we're relying on technology more and more, whether that's from operations to recruiting, whatever that may be. Um, how are you guys embracing technology? Are you doing anything different when it comes to student visits, um, you know, in VR or anything forward facing that BU is looking into or, or considering now that we've been dealt this hand where we have to rely on it more and more than ever? Sure. Um, well, I think the important part is, you know, during the pandemic, uh, the most important part uh, during the pandemic is, you know, we still have to recruit. Um, and right now you can't travel. Um, or you can travel with ease and, and you know, uh, institutions, you know, are not open to visitors because rightly so we're concerned about, you know, keeping uh, the university going with the students we have here. But at the same point, you still need to recruit students. Um, so how do you do that? And what we've done over the last couple of months is really try to think about our online presence um, and how a student is going to find um, more information about you know not only boston university but boston university athletics and their particular program um, because that is the first source of of their information is going online um, and looking at uh, what the opportunity is so we've taken a couple of steps um, one we created a um, facilities video um, you know just kind of looking at all of our facilities it's about 15 minute professionally done with one of our partners um, you know, some great imagery, drone footage, you know, to really showcase um, all of our facilities, you know, interspersed with some game tape so it's lively and it's not just uh, showing an empty arena. Um, and then we're taking each of those and we broke them off by the um, facility and then working with the coach to create a recruiting type video. Um, we have a world-class uh, tennis and track center here and the indoor track um, is one known across the globe. Uh, recently, the indoor mile world record was set in our facility. Um, so it's a it's a something that people want to hear about and come to. And for it to be on our campus and to recruit student athletes to it um, is pretty impressive because they know the facility, they know the the low numbers or the low um, times that have been run on that track. So. Our um, head coach, Gabe Sanders, uh, did a wonderful job narrating, um, talking about the facility and you know, put it up on social media and it got a tremendous amount of you know, views and likes. And we're now doing that with each of our programs. Interesting. Um, and beyond that, we also wanna keep the content fresh. Um, you know, it's, you've got a marketing and communications team um, that doesn't have any games to market or communicate about. Um, so we've talked about you know, emerging immersing, you know, within a program, um, you know, and creating a week's worth of content, you know, getting out to practice. Um, we set up a meeting with each head coach and talked about, okay, what do you want to profile in your program? How do we help you recruit? Um, because if you're a soccer team, field hockey, you, you should be playing games right now. Unfortunately, you're not. But how can we still tell, tell a story about you? Um, be that, you know, your team culture, your team values, um, appropriately so. Um, all of our programs have embraced social justice and inclusion initiatives, um, and we're telling that story as well. You know what they're, um, what conversations they're having as um, young people, and what initiatives they want to create. And when we can go out into the community in a safe way, 
um, what they want to do and be able to support um, those causes and those initiatives. Yeah, no, that is, uh, it, it's really interesting to see um, the behind the scenes, the, you know, when we're not playing sports, what is that program really like you know what's it like in the locker room what's it like from the coach the culture um, being able to address some of these larger issues outside of sport as the social justice as you mentioned or mentioned there um which is you know kudos to you guys right really embracing where we're at right now finding a solution until we can figure out what the new normal looks like um is imperative and so i'm really curious um you know outside of bu but just your personal thoughts on this when you know when you guys are doing these virtual visits, you're sending out the, the films, you're sending out, you know, these different alternatives to prospective athletes. Um, do you think that the NCAA is going to start to regulate those and, and view those as official visits or um, is that TBD? Where, where's your head at as we move more and more um, into the digital world? I, I think the NCAA exists to, to you know, manage um, and regulate. Uh, amongst other things, but, um, you know, kind of as you go through the progression of the NCAA or college athletics, you know, there's always been a new thing that's emerged. Um, people have tried to, um, you know, seek that competitive advantage. We evaluate it as an association and, you know, put some parameters around it as we move forward. Um, so the short answer is yes, I do think, you know, there'll be some continued regulation around, um, you know, digital recruiting and, and contact. Um, that said, you know, it is it is the future. Um, you know, so the other thing I, I think that has really put a pause um, in this time of pandemic, you talked about budgets, you know, squeezing. And it's a really good opportunity as a department or a unit within a department or a program um, to look at and say, why do we do this? You know, why are we doing it this way? Um, whatever it might be, um, be that your game set up, your marketing communications, your recruiting strategy, your recruiting, you know, communications. Why are we doing it this way? Because I think, uh, particularly when you've been at an institution for a while, you get caught up in a kind of a rote schedule of, you know, at this time of year, this is what we do, and, and we do it because it's been successful. Um, when I arrived at Holy Cross, and I think this is always the benefit of having a, you know, being a new person in a, in a department or a unit, you're there learning, you're soaking things up, but you can always ask questions. And a couple of times when I got to Holy Cross with the units that I oversaw, you know, I'd ask the question of, okay, why do we do it this way? And it would come back some version of, well, that's how we've always done it. Um, so I think what the pandemic and the you know, financial challenges um, that we face now is giving us the opportunity to look and say, why, why are we doing it this way? And how can we do it more creatively? How can we do it in a better fiscal managed way? Um, you know, so it's not about, you know, sending a media guide to a recruit. How do we invest um, in our web presence or how do we invest in our social strategy? Um, you know, we looked at one of the things that we're looking at um, in the sport is compared to our peers, we were, you know, our, our following numbers, our followers weren't very high. And so we convened a group here. With, we kind of did a year in marketing uh, meeting with that team. And we said, okay, why? Why are our numbers not as good as um, 
as our peers in this because our team is successful. Um, and, you know, everything went out there and we've had a couple of follow-up meetings and it's talking to the coaches about being more engaged on social media. Um, it's them giving us feedback about, you know, what they think uh, potential recruits want to see. Um, and it's us looking critically at what we're doing and saying, okay, let's really evaluate um, the time and energy that we're putting into this um, and versus the output. Because we talk about, um, you know, the investment um, and why we do things. Doing things in digitally or um, online, it's still an investment of, of time. It might not be money, but it's an investment of the resources. And as we talked about before, um, with you know open positions and um, you know hiring freezes throughout college athletics, there's fewer people doing more work. Um, so you still have to critically look at that and say, right, even though we're not investing money in this because we made the smart decision that that's not giving us value, we still have to think about how we're investing our time and, and how's that contributing to a a goal or an objective that that feeds into you know the department's success yeah and at the end of it i mean time is our most valuable resource right mm -hmm. like I mean, it's uh it's finite and you know we have to you know the more efficient we are with our time you know sort of we can extrapolate that out and um, across a program and um and ultimately just be more efficient be more effective and you know it's my my as a true checkpoint right we like to understand how you got here what you're doing and my question was going to be you know what does the future look like and i think you just touched on that right and it's it's almost unpacking what we've done to get to this point to get to a foundation where we can go and build for the future and reevaluating what those processes look like um, whether that's behind the scenes operation game day student athlete experience and being a former athlete this is really exciting. I mean, I'm at the intersection of sports and technology, but seeing, you know, I, I want to try and make sure that, you know, we preserve the tradition of sport because I think that's something that's so precious. But in that same vein, hey, we don't, like you said, we don't have to send the media book that's 500 pages to the recruit anymore. Or, you know, when I was coming out of high school, I mean, man, I got stacks of mail that were this high. It's like, hey, let's save the trees a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. we can do things um, in a more streamlined, efficient manner there. And um, and so it's really interesting. But but I'm curious, you know, beyond just sort of unraveling the, the current process we have now, um, is there anything on the horizon that, that excites you where, you know, where this is going, whether that's for BU specific or, or collegiate athletics as a whole sure um i think we're all going to be excited when we get back to normal yeah um, yes whenever that, whenever that might be um you know I've joked with uh with a couple of people of you know remember the issues we used to complain about i would welcome those issues today yeah. uh, versus um the current pandemic and, and the issues we face so um what i'm excited to do is just getting back to that you know we spoke about being fortunate to have our students on campus and, you know, to just be able to walk out and see them compete in a practice environment is really exciting. Um, you know, there's not another team out there. Um, you know, we're all competitive in athletics. And one of the reasons why we got into it is, you know, we value the wins over the losses. Um, and, but that's part of a greater picture here at Boston University as well. Um, but I'm excited um, for that, you know, for the return to some normalcy. Um, you know, I do think uh, it's interesting where the industry will go. And if anyone can truly predict it, um, I would suggest that they, you know, get out of college athletics and maybe go into consulting. Um, <laughs> read us all um, 
uh, all through the path of, of where it's going to be. Um, you know, I, I think the important thing is continuing to provide the, the opportunity to our students. Um, I think the challenge is going to be as budgets shrink, um, you know, revenues uh, become harder to achieve. If markets correct in terms of, you know, media dollars or sponsorship dollars, um, making sure we maintain uh, those opportunities for our students is, is paramount. Um, we're the only country in the world that does college athletics this way. Um, and you know, many people criticize it um, because of whatever reason you, you wish. And where I think I'm excited as well is that we're evolving. You know, if you talked about NIL issues a decade ago, two decades ago, um, it would be, you know, it would be shunned. But today we've got the um, foresight, maybe not foresight, foresight is a poor choice of words, but the uh, aptitude to realize that, you know, it is something that needs to change um, in our industry. Um, and it might be forced, a hand may have been forced at the, the highest level, but we do need to adapt. Um, you know, and the other area I think about too is, you know, the student athlete well-being. Um, again, you go back 10, 20, 30 years ago, um, athletics was, you know, competitive opportunity. Um, and yet now we've got to make sure that, you know, we care about that whole student athlete um, and provide them the resources um, they need because they're, um, in, in some way, they're our responsibility. You know, yeah. parents drop off a 18-year-old and um, not that they, you know, are, are exempt from the process of, of raising that child thereafter, um, but really that maturation happens under our eyes um, on our campus. Um, so making sure we care for them, uh, provide them the opportunity to challenge them, uh, but ultimately do care for their whole person so that when they do graduate, um, that they're set to go off and, and, you know, into their chosen passion. You know, we talked earlier about you know, doing something that you're passionate about and, and um, you don't get into athletics unless you have a passion for it. Uh, wanting those students when they graduate to find that passion. It might happen at graduation, might happen you know, a few years down the road, but equip them with the ability to find that passion um, and, and always reflect well on, our, our student, on, on their time with us. Um, a line I always say to our students when I'm talking to them um, is, you know, your successes and your opportunities are because of those that came before you. Um, and there'll be others that come after you um, that, you know, will benefit because of the work you put in during your four seasons with us. And while, you know, your perhaps most impactful time as a Boston University uh, Terrier is your four, four seasons, uh, you're part of our family for much, much longer than that. Um, and, you know, the program success is your success. So um, just keeping that, you know, going, you know, we, we always say, you know, you're fortunate to, to help drive an institution or department forward, but um, the institution will put here before you and it'll be here well after you as, as long as we are good stewards. So um, just contributing to that, I think it's important. Well said. And, and, you know, one of the mantras that we live by here is, uh, you know, reach one, teach one. And, you know, that's something that I was taught, you know, coming through my sports days, 
um, when you're trying to establish and build a culture um, that goes well beyond you, that's much bigger than you, um, it's imperative that that you continue to take what you've learned and what you're passionate about, um, disseminate that out to folks that you know are beneath you or to the side of you so that you can elevate um, and ultimately create a society, a create a community around you that is um, you know, all rowing in the same direction and you know, with all the common goal of fulfilling each person's passion and, and just genuinely making each person 1% better than um, they maybe were the day before. So um, incredible foresight there into uh, to, to what's on the horizon and what you're thinking about. Um, I think that's gotta be really encouraging for our listeners um, as it's all holistic, you know, we're, we're looking, we're all in this together. And, um, you know, one, one quick shout out, um, one of our prior guests who came on, um, Eric Cusin, you know, he runs an organization, we're all a little crazy. Um, and he runs the hashtag same here movement. And so, um, you know, I think when we talk about holistic approaches um, to an athlete, there's all the things that take place, but then there's that mental health component that we're all going through as well. And so, um, you know, we would remiss without bringing him up through any of these conversations, whether it's your athletes, coaches, administrators, it's a great movement going on, um, you know, and if you guys are looking out for it, um, if you wanna tell your story, great platform to do it. Um, so as we start to wrap up here, Brendan, this has been an incredible conversation. I've loved sort of, um, you know, getting to know you and your journey from where you were to what you're doing to what's on the horizon. We're going to take a pivot off of BU sports here for a second and, uh, you know, get a little personal. So one of the questions that we've been asking all of our guests, um, and I'm really excited to hear your answer is, if you could share one experience that you've had in your life that you would recommend our guest listeners um, do or experience in theirs, what would that be and why? Um, that's a great question, Scott. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, could, I could take it a lot of, lot of different ways. Um, I guess I'll, I'll share on the personal side because it uh, is it's the thing that comes first to mind. Um, and it, it's not meant to be a brag or perhaps it's a humble brag, but um, uh, well, 15 years ago now, uh, 2004, 16 years ago, um, I ran the Boston Marathon. Um, and uh, exactly, yeah, it was, it was one of those that it was, I'm not quite sure why I did it. I, I know why I did it and I can share that, but um, throughout that process of training uh, was something that, you know, it, it just really um, was a challenge, obviously, but such a experience and opportunity that I look back on um, in a great way. Um, a little bit more about me, which I didn't share, but, um, you know, I talked a little bit about knowing that my athletic career was going to peak early. Um, I was actually born with a birth defect uh, called spina bifida. So, you know, wear a brace on one of my legs um and have some you know back issues but um you know worked with an organization uh to support the spina bifida community in the state and we had uh numbers for the boston marathon and my brother ran in 2003 um in my honor and it was great it was great being on boylston street and watching him uh come down and uh being the person i am i did have that kind of thought of like i might be able to do this let's see uh, and I remember the June day where I went for a jog and probably couldn't go more than, um, you know, a couple hundred yards without uh, panting for breath. And it had nothing to do with having a birth defect. It had more to do with just not being in shape. Um, but uh, ran in 2004, um, 
you know, and had the privilege of uh, being in the, what they call the mobility impaired division. Um, so we started two hours before everyone else. So, you know, unlike the other thousands of people running that race, um, I literally got to stand on the starting line um, in Hopkinton and there were, you know, the, maybe a couple thousand people there and myself and four or five other competitors and, and you're off and running uh, in that environment. It was pretty cool. Um, wow. and, and you run a mile and then you realize there's 25 more and those thousand people aren't there anymore to cheer you on. Um, but uh, just I, I often think back and can remember vividly in my mind certain points of that race. Um, you know, and the people you see, um, you know, people that uh, didn't know you were running, um, you know, ran into literally some people I went to high school with and they're looking at me saying, oh, you're out here. And yep, yep moving on. Wow. Um, and then just uh, coming down and finishing. And it, it was it was tremendous. Um, so uh, I know a lot of a lot of people in the athletic world are runners. I was not one before 2004. Um, I did run one more in uh, 2006. Uh, but I can say I definitely uh, retired from that quickly thereafter. But, uh, um, you know, I have the distinction, I guess, of in 2004 um, being the last official finisher in the Boston Marathon. Um, but, you know, for me, it was about finishing. And then uh, I did improve in 2006. I uh, finished second to last. So wow. um, it was, uh, what an I thought that was 100% improvement. So. Man, I got I got goosebumps. I mean, that is uh, what an incredible story. And um, so, for all of you don't who don't know, um, you know, the Heartbreak Hill in the marathon is it's real. I, I mean, it is. You know, my my wife is from Newton. Um, I was in decent shape. I'm a runner. I went out there to go do it, and I hadn't run 24 miles before it, and it still kicked my ass. And so, you know, I'm curious before we let you go. What was that? You're at the end of the race. You got to be dog tired. And then you get this just steady incline, climbing, climbing, climbing. What was that like to, to be at that point and, and experience something like that? Um, slow and steady. Yeah. Slow and steady. Um, if, you, if you know the course, you know, it, it's the biggest challenge is Heartbreak Hill is actually the third hill um, in a progression kind of coming through Newton. Um and you just got to take it slow and steady um, and going up that hill and, and everyone's suffering. Everyone is suffering at that point. Um, you know, and I had some great uh, friends with me, you know, jogging in with me at that point. And, um, you know, they, they got me up there. I will say the big, the, the harder thing was kind of turning the corner and coming down and seeing the Sitco sign um, as you turned. Um, and it just looked so close, yet you realize it was still a solid two miles away. <laughs> um, as you were coming down uh, towards Kenmore Square. Um, so that was the bigger tease, I think, than, than Heartbreak Hill. You knew there was an end to Heartbreak Hill, but when you saw the Sitco sign, you thought you were done, but it, it just stood there and didn't seem like it was getting any closer for, for quite a bit of time. Wow. Wow. What an incredible um, ending to an incredible podcast. Uh, Brendan, this has been such a treat to, um, you know, spend some time getting to know you. Um, you know, again, it's really encouraging that we have folks like yourself at the helm of, you know, starting to navigate what the future looks like for Boston University and more importantly for student athletes across the country as we continue to pave, uh, you know, 
paved the path for for future generations to to play sports. So from Check and Checkpoint, um, thank you so much for coming on. And and real quick before we let you go, as you guys are producing, um, you know, new content for the university, for the you know for athletics specifically, where can future athletes, coaches, administrators, um, where can they view this stuff and get in touch with you if they have follow up questions? Uh, direct them to our website, GoTerriers.com, uh, okay. near of our uh, social media platforms, you know, which are uh, typically under the hashtag of or, or the handle of at BU Athletics um, and on our directory, my my email address and um, office line are available. So happy to chat with anyone. Awesome. Again, Brendan, thank you so much. Um, until next time, listeners, be sure to check yourself. <laughs>